6 in your New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. There's the old adage that says you're never too old to learn. Uh, you've heard that before. And scripture tells us in Psalm chapter number 90 that something we ought to be learning is to number our days. Do you remember that verse? Psalm chapter 90 and verse number 12 says, to, So teach us to number our days that we may be able to apply our hearts unto wisdom. And if you and I, regardless of our physical age, if you and I ever come to the place where we stop doing that, we'll most likely stop accomplishing what God wants us to do in this world and we'll start doing what we want to do. But if we'll number our days, if we'll number our days, if we'll learn the uh, value of time investment, the Bible says we're applying our hearts to wisdom. So I, I'd like to speak to you today on making the best of the rest of your life. And we're going to use Matthew 6. Thank you, Josh. We're going to use Matthew 6 for that. Um, someone said that life is like a dollar bill. You can spend it however you'd like it, but you're only going to spend that dollar one time. And that's your life. You've heard that. It started out, I think, as a a poem and then somebody put music to it only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last one life but you only get to use that life one time and so um, I want to I want to say to you if you don't like how you've invested your life so far I have good news for you you can improve it uh, you can change it if you don't like what your life your life's past has been we talked about a guy today in our in our Bible study fellowship uh, Jabez and his past and his family's past may not have been all that great, but he determined to give himself to the Lord. And so I, I would ask you this morning to think about this topic of making the best of the rest of your life. The Bible says our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time, then it vanishes away. The Bible says we ought not to boast ourselves about tomorrow because we don't know what a day is going to bring forth. So whatever time you have left... Whatever time it is, it might be days or weeks, or it might be decades. But whatever time you and I have left, let's make the best of it. If you were to ask the Lord Jesus Christ how to make the best of the rest of your life, do you ever wonder what he would say? What would he would say? Here's, here's the good news. You don't have to wonder about that. He said it. He tells us in this verse, we're just looking at this one verse primarily today, Matthew 6, 33, what you can do to make the best of the rest of your life. Well, pastor, I'm old. You can make the best of the rest of your life. Pastor, I have, I'm, I'm really young. I got a long time. Well, you don't know that for sure, but even if you do have a long time, make the best of it. Matthew 6, 33. Let's look at that together. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You can summarize that verse in one, two, three words. First things first. That's what that verse is telling you. There's a priority given here. With your life as a child of God, there's a priority given to you. What is it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. If we would continually and consistently and consciously put first things first, it would transform not just our relationship with Jesus Christ, it would transform what God can do in you and through you. 
as his child, putting him first. The formula for how to put him first is found in this little verse. So let's dissect it. And let's start with this thought of setting proper priorities. How to make the best of the rest of your life. And we're going to start with setting proper priorities. Let's ask God to bless our time in his word and then look at this one verse today. Father, your word is true and it's perfect and it says it's eternal and doesn't change and will last forever. Heaven and earth might pass away, but your word won't, you said. So we're taking your word today and we're going to look at it and ask that your Holy Spirit would do his part to guide us into this truth and to teach us the importance of giving right priority to the rest of our life. Lord, we confess to you that our life comes from you. Our health is from you. It's not our own doing. It's, it's your good. It's your good hand. So we pray that you would help us to learn today how to make the best of the rest of the life that we have, however long that is. May we seek to glorify you in it. We pray that you would help our understanding today and take your word through your Holy Spirit's work and apply it to our hearts in whatever way we need to be brought into a proper relationship and fellowship with you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. First one, set proper priorities. If your priorities are in order, most likely your life's going to be in order. Most likely. And, and consequently, if your priorities aren't right, your life may be somewhat disheveled. It will not be in order. I, I have this little, here, here's my introductory thought on this one. Christians don't have to pray about what their top priority in life should be. You don't have to think about it, debate it. You don't have to choose or search for it. Jesus already told us what our first priority should be right here in this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And that first, I mean, there's no hidden meaning in that word in the Greek language. That first means exactly what you think it means. Before everything else. We were at Chuck E. Cheese yesterday and playing these little racing games with my grandson. He's five. And he's driving, you know, he's, he's driving this car. And, uh, and his dad drove with him most of the time. I had one race with him. And he wanted to know at the end of every one of those things, did I win? Did I win? Because there's a first place. And, and in your life and in my life, God says we are to seek first the kingdom of God. That word seek means to actively, consciously pursue something. It's not haphazard. It's not half in, half out. It means this is what we're going afterward. It's, it's the present tense. So it's something I am to be doing all the time. Seek his kingdom first every day, every minute of the day. I should be seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, in order to do that, I first have to know the king of that kingdom, don't I? If I'm going to seek first the kingdom, then I need to know the capital K king of that kingdom. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And if I'm to seek first the kingdom of God, then I first need to know that king. Well, the king, you, you know him by name. His name is Jesus. The Bible tells us in more, than one, in more than one reference, it tells us that he is the king of all kings. God doesn't have, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. There are those that sit at the other end of the table at the Last Supper, and then there's that one who who laid his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It seems that the Apostle John had a very close relationship with Jesus Christ. You ever feel like that in your, in your Christian life? Sometimes it waxes and wanes, doesn't it? There are times when I feel extremely close to Christ, and, and boy, the, 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 we're just clicking. Can I say it like this? We're just clicking on all eight cylinders. And there are those times when I have, I've, let that, I've let myself drift. He never changes. He never moves. But there's those times that I drift and the relationship isn't as intimate. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And he says in James chapter 4, if I'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to me. It says in Jeremiah 29, 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't, know the king of this kingdom. Know Jesus Christ, not just about him. There are a lot of people in this world that know about Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't know him as their savior. It's not enough just to seek the Lord. We are to seek him First, the scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. First things first. There are three important words here in Matthew chapter 6. In verse number 30, note the word faith in verse number 30. And then in verse number 32, there is that word father. And then in verse number 33, there is that word first. Faith, father, First, somebody said a working application of faith is this, putting the Father first. Putting him first. May I just ask you, I mean, we're at the end of the year here. This is when people evaluate last year, anticipate next year. Would you look back and let, and, and let yourself test yourself? Are you putting the king first? Are you seeking his kingdom first? Putting the Father first. Dr. John Phillips, he's one of my favorite authors. He said, it's not, that, it's not that Jesus wants a place in your life. Jesus doesn't even want prominence in your life. Jesus wants the preeminence in your life. Amen. He wants to be first. Colossians 1.18, it's, it's the, Colossians 1.18 is a theme verse for our church. It is that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. Putting him first, not runner-up, not vice president, not second in command. In control, the king on the throne. Seek this king. If you don't know him as your savior today, seek him. And then seek his kingdom. That word kingdom implies that somebody is ruling, doesn't it? If there's a kingdom, it means... Somebody's the king, and that king is ruling. He is reigning. It's a place where the king rules. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek his rule in my life. When, when you and I are seeking this king, when we're seeking the kingdom of God, there are really three things that we are, in fact, seeking. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That sounds good, doesn't it? What is practically, in my everyday life then, when I'm out there living, because look, if this is just theoretical and philosophical, if the Bible is only to give me knowledge and to make me more educated, it's really not much better than a science book or a grammar book. But that's not what the Bible's intended to do, is it? 
thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's one verse out of probably hundreds that you and I could find together that says this. The word of God is not meant to increase your, your education and your, uh, your knowledge. The word of God is meant to change your life. It's meant to change how I live every day. So if the Bible says that the most important thing I can be doing, the first thing that I should be doing is seeking the kingdom of God, what does that look like on Monday through Friday? Because it sounds good in the church service where we all put on our Sunday best today and we look nice. That sounds great, but how does that look outside of this building and away from each other? How does that look when you're not getting along with your coworker or your husband or wife? What do I do with that? When you seek the kingdom of God, you're really seeking three things. Here they are. First, you are seeking the glory of the king. Every part and parcel of your life and my life as a child of God, every minute, every moment, every choice, it ought to be done in such a way that God is glorified by that. Whether, therefore, ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. In seeking his kingdom, I am living my life so that it brings glory to God. When I seek his kingdom, I'm seeking his glory. What I do, what you do, it ought to be done in a way that honors God. It's unfortunate that sometimes you and I do things in a way that dishonors him. Are you ever embarrassed by the way you respond to something as a Christian? There's just sometimes you're like, man, I wish I hadn't said it that way or said it in that tone or had that expression on my face. Why? Because I just dishonored the Lord with that. I'm to look like a child of the king. First, I'm, to, I, I'm seeking the glory of the king. But the second thing about seeking his kingdom, I'm not only seeking his glory. I not only want to point people to Christ. The second thing is this. I'm seeking the guidance of the king. In any kingdom, a loyal subject of the king wants to do what that king wants him to do. We're seeking the guidance of the king. One preacher put it like this, there is no higher calling in life than to find out what your king wants done and then do it. What does God want you to do? Seek his guidance. You remember, there's another popular passage of scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. When we seek the kingdom of God, we're seeking the guidance of the king. God, what do you want me to do? What job do you want me to take? What person do you want me to marry? What church do you want me to join? What college do you want me to go to? Should my family invest in this house or in this car? What should we be doing in the ministry? How should I exercise my spiritual gifts? All of those things, I'm seeking the guidance of the king. That's part of seeking the kingdom of God. You're not only seeking his glory to live your life, to live your life in such a way that it honors him, but you're also seeking his guidance. Do you remember the? You remember when Paul was uh, when Paul was uh, saved on the Damascus Road? Remember that story in Acts chapter number nine? Um, what were we just talking about? We were just talking about this last night. Oh, somebody texted me about the football game. Did somebody in this church text me that? There was a football game last night. Um, if you didn't, well, it wasn't much of a football game. Georgia. It wasn't much of a football game. The ESPN, somebody, oh, it was Wayne Martin. Wayne Martin, that's what you're saying, Jeff. 
He texted me last night and he said, did you hear what the ESPN commentator just said? In that game last night, Georgia versus whoever that was that thought they should be in the national championship, uh, the commentator for ESPN said this. I'm not going to say it exactly, but you're going to get the gist of it. He said, the only way, something like this, the only way that this game is going to have an, a different outcome is if there's a greater conversion than what took place with Paul on the Damascus Road. That's how he said it. You remember when Paul was saved? He was Saul of Tarsus at that time. When he saw Jesus, the first, he asked two questions, didn't he? First question he asked was, who art thou, Lord? Which tells you he already knew who Jesus was. But the second question he asks is where you and I ought to live every day. When your eyes open in the morning, you ought to wake up with that question on your mind pretty quickly. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? That's seeking the guidance of the king. I'm not only seeking his glory. I want my life to glorify Christ, but I'm seeking his guidance. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The third thing you're seeking, not just the glory and the guidance, you're seeking the government of the king. Pastor, what's the difference then between the guidance and the government? Well, the, the guidance of the king, that refers to our heart's desire. I want, God to, I want God's instruction. When I say you're seeking the government of the king, that refers to my heart's surrender. Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. Your, your word matters to me. That recognizes my recognition of God's control in my life. God made me. He's my creator. He's your creator. Even if you're not a Christian this morning, he's your creator. You ought to ask yourself, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He is to rule over us. In seeking first the kingdom, I'm seeking his glory I'm seeking his guidance, and I'm surrendering to his government. We are servants of the Lord. We do what he says. You say, Pastor, that, sounds, that almost sounds like being a slave. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. Every time Paul, Paul began a letter, he would, he would sign it by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word he used for servant was slave. But you know what? You will never want as good for yourself as God wants for you. The smartest thing I can do is surrender my life to him, to seek his government. I read this illustration one time. I never know in these illustration books I get you know, or, or come across, I never know if they're true or not. So I can't say that this was a fact, but it, it makes for good preaching. See? But I read this story. It says this. A woman was deathly sick and a neighbor came to visit her and he asked her whether she wanted to live or die. She said, I just want whatever pleases God. The neighbor said, well, what if God were refer to the matter back to you? Which would you choose? She said, if God refers the matter back to me, I will refer the matter back to him. I want him to be pleased. That's the right priority. Just let God do what he wants to do because... He wants to do what's best for you. It may not be what you choose, but he wants to do what's best for you. It's better for you and I to die in the will of God than to live out of the will of God. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
That happens when you and I first set the right priorities. Second thing, let's go quickly. Not only set proper priorities, seek personal purity, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's not lessen that word at all. Let's leave righteousness alone and leave it to mean exactly what it means, holiness, or to use our word here, purity. Seek his righteousness. This means not only seeking God's control over us, that's his kingdom, but also seeking God's character within us. The kingdom of God is to be inwardly experienced and it is to be outwardly expressed. When people look at you and they look at me, they ought to be reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be that different in this world. Doc referred to that verse uh, in one of Paul's letters this morning. He said, when you're saved, you are a new creature. You're a new creation. You're a brand new person. You see, if, if you've been saved, if I've been saved, then the righteousness of Christ is already in us. That, uh, that's already been given to us. We've changed our sinfulness for his righteousness. Now that needs to be fleshed out. Paul said, work out your own salvation. That means let's what on the inside now, let it come to the outside. Let it be seen. Seek personal purity. We quote this verse a lot here, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have been made righteous in Christ. So we are to demonstrate that. Just like faith is seen by fruit. You, you remember what Jesus said, by your fruit you'll know them. Paul is going to write in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of the working of the Holy Spirit. As faith is seen by fruit, character is seen by conduct. Your inward character is who you are, but it is revealed in your conduct. As we seek the kingdom of God, people ought to be able to see the righteousness of God in us. We're never going to make a difference in the world until the world sees a difference in us. You've heard of uh, Friedrich, Nietzsche, Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche? Is that how you say his first name? Freddie. Let's just call him Freddie Nietzsche. He was a German philosopher, and, and as a philosopher, he was really the founder, philosophically, He's the founder of the Nazi movement. Very worldly man. He's the first person on written record to uh, say the words, God is dead. A lot of people have lived like that. He's the first person on written record to say it. The, here's the sad part of him. And if you've read anything by him, he was so humanistic in his thinking and worldly level, horizontal living, nothing vertical at all, nothing spiritual, just pure worldly humanism. But the reason he said God is dead, his basis for that by his own testimony, he based it on what he saw in professing Christians. And here's what he said. If you want me to believe in your redeemer, you're going to have to look a little more redeemed. Why did he think like he thought? Because he didn't see the redeemer in people that were professing to be redeemed. We are to seek not only his kingdom, but we're to seek his righteousness. And that righteousness is to be on full display. One of the greatest marks of a Christian is that they will make it easy for others to believe in Jesus Christ. 
it's not, it's not very impressive for me to say I believe in Jesus and Jesus has saved me and he's made me new and he's given me a new heart and then I go out and I respond to difficulties and adversities and confrontations the same way an unsaved person does. That makes no sense at all. That goes right back to Nietzsche's thing. That goes right back to what he's saying. So what, is it, what does it mean then to seek the righteousness of God? A couple of things. First, we must want this personal purity. You have to want that righteousness to be demonstrated. I remember what Pastor Cross, he pastored this church before I did. Pastor Cross used to say all the time, generally speaking, people do what they want to do. Generally speaking, people do what they want to do. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. To hunger and thirst after righteousness, that means to want it. Do you want personal purity? Do you want a visible Christ-likeness in your life so that others can see Jesus in you? You have to want it. And the Bible says if you hunger and thirst after that kind of righteousness, you shall be filled. Desire to be right inwardly and desire to do right outwardly, and God's Spirit will enable you to do that. When it comes to seeking his righteousness, we're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. When it comes to seeking his righteousness, first you have to want that personal purity. Hunger and thirst after it, like it says in Matthew 5. Second, we must obtain this personal purity. We have to obtain it. It says in our verse, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, what's the next word? His righteousness. You have to obtain it. You have to get it because you, don't, you and I don't have it on our own. We've got to obtain it from somewhere outside of ourselves. He's not concerned with my righteousness at all. My righteousness doesn't impress God one little bit. But if I'll receive his son's righteousness, that gets, that gets me right into the presence of God right now. It's his righteousness. We have to want it, but we also have to obtain it. <clears throat> After Paul was saved, he, you know, he wrote about half the New Testament, didn't he? maybe more than half, he made this one specific life goal. We're, we're right here at the cusp of, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, resolutions guy. If you are, that's fine. I just, don't, I just don't do them. I have a goal. I was sharing with my daughter the other night. I have a goal, a reading goal for this next year. It's not a resolution because I've made those resolutions before on what I'm going to read, and then I fall short. So I just have a goal now that I make. But Paul made this his, one of his life goals, and he reveals it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And it says this, and be not found in him, or, or rather be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. One of his life goals was to demonstrate the righteousness of Christ. He already had it in him. He got that when he got saved. You got that when you got saved. Paul's goal was to demonstrate that righteousness to you and me. Your goal and my goal should be to demonstrate the righteousness of Christ to the lost world around us. Now we have to have it first. And I'll go back to this. If I'm repetitive, forgive me. But 
before I can demonstrate that righteousness of Christ, I have to have it. I have to get it. And I get that by salvation through Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we have to want it, hunger and thirst after righteousness. We have to obtain it because it's his righteousness, not ours. Third, we must reveal this personal purity. <laughs> uh, my wife is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. That area of the country is the home of Will Rogers. You remember Will Rogers, a humorist and author and among other things. Will Rogers said that we ought to live our lives in such a way that we would not be afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Does that make sense? Didn't take you long to get that. We have to reveal this righteousness. We are to show Jesus Christ to a world that is going as fast as it can to hell. It's rejecting Christ right and left. Christianity is being shunned while worldly and, and false religions are being embraced. You and I are to be the light of the world, Matthew 5 says. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to let our, our light so shine before men that they may see our good works but glorify our Father which is in heaven. We have to reveal that righteousness. They need to see a difference in you and I. This is how I seek the righteousness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is how I do it. I reveal it. There's that phrase today. <clears throat> Actually, it's a Bible verse. It's not just a phrase. That man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. That verse has been used to excuse worldliness in the life of the Christian for decades now. That's a true verse, by the way. Man does look on the outside. God looks on the heart. Here's the thing. Man looks on the outside because he can't look on your heart. So if you're going to say that you believe in Jesus, the only way that a person can know that that's true is to see Jesus in you because they can't determine you. They can't determine the spiritual condition of your heart. Yeah, man looks on the outside. That's exactly right. So show them Jesus. Reveal Jesus to them. The, the scripture, I mean, and that's not even an argumentable point. Scripture says so much about the public testimony of the Christian to the lost world. So when someone says to me, well, you know, man looks on the outside, but God really looks on the heart. Well, yeah, that's true because it's in God's word, not because that's your philosophy. But the truth is that people look on the outside. So show them Jesus. Paul said you have this, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let him be seen. Let him be seen. So set proper priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek personal purity. Seek his righteousness. And the last one is see promised prosperity. I'm not Joel Osteen. Don't get your hopes up. He's robbed us of that word. Seek promised prosperity. What does the Bible say at the end of verse 33? If you'll seek the kingdom first and you'll seek his righteousness, God will give you some good things. That's not what it says at all. It says at the end of that verse, if it's translated correctly, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
God will get you through it. God will give you some good blessings. Nope. It says, all these things shall be added unto you. So you have to ask yourself, well, what are all these things? That, that refers back to something. That refers back to what he talked about in verses 19 through 30. We're not going to take the whole time to look at all of those 11 verses, but there were some things talked about in there because Jesus was addressing worry in the life of his disciples. He said, you're worrying about some things. Stop worrying about them. Just stop worrying about them. If you'll just seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. What were some of those things? Let's just, let's just name them. In verse 19, chapter 6, verse 19, he addressed worry about finances. In the first part of verse number 25, he addressed worrying about food. None of us have been worrying about that for about the last week, have we? The second part of verse number 25 and verse number 28, he says, don't worry about fashion. Don't worry about the clothes that you're going to wear. In verse number 27, don't worry about fitness. These are legitimate needs. You need health. You need clothing. You need money. You need food. And God's saying, don't worry about those things. Those are legitimate needs. And your heaven, look at verse 32. Your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Then he goes into verse 33. Your father knows you need these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He'll take care of your finances. He'll take care of your food. He'll take care of your fashion. He'll take care of your fitness. You just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The promise is God will take care of every need if we're seeking what we ought to be seeking. You ought to make the best of the rest of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, all these things shall be added unto you. I had a Bible study the other day at the police department. And uh, it was Thursday morning, Wesley, and we were, we were in there. And, and I brought up this word shall when God says the word shall. Now, some of you have been involved in legal documents, whether it's the sale of a house or the sale of a car. Um, and there is a contract that is made. Um, that word shall is a very prominent word, isn't it, in contracts that are legally binding. The buyer shall do this, this, this. The seller shall do this, this, this. They're going to do it. God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He's made a promise right there. There is a promise that has been made. By a God who the Bible says it's impossible for him to lie. What are four lessons we can learn based on this promise? Because if you're not careful, if you're like me, you'll take a promise like that. You say, oh boy, well that's going to work out great then. All these things, if I can just go get, I'm going to head over here to Bud's Guns and we're going to have a good time. I'm getting all these things added to me. Is that what he's saying there? It's really not what he's saying. There's some, there's some lessons to learn from this. There's some things that can be applied. Can I run through them quickly with you? First lesson is this. Based on this promise in verse number 33, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Four lessons from that promise. Lesson number one, you do not need everything you want. You do not need everything you want. You know how I know that? Let me ask you a question. How, better, how, how much would you like to have back all the money you spent on stuff that you thought you wanted, but then you, you found out you didn't need it? 
man. How, how would you feel if you could get back all the money you spent on things you did not really need? You'd be in a whole, you'd be in a whole other tra- tax bracket, wouldn't you? Second lesson, you do not want everything you need. Would you let that sink in for a moment? You do not want everything you need. Did you know that some lessons are only learned through adversity? And nobody wants adversity. But there are some lessons that I need to learn that I only learn through adversity. Lesson number one is you do not need everything you want. Lesson number two, you do not want everything you need. Lesson number three, God does not give us everything we want. You might have heard this confession that was written by a Confederate soldier. It's, it's all over print and internet. Um, but here's what he wrote. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I could do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the presence of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. What a great perspective. And then lesson number four is this, and you could probably guess it. God will give us all we need. How many times does God say in scripture, I'll take care of your needs? He says it right here in chapter 6 and verse 33. He says it in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you know, he says it again. Psalm 34 verses 9 and 10. Psalm 37 verse 25. He talks again and again and again. I'll take care of your needs. Do you remember what David the psalmist wrote? I have been young, now I am old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Why? Because God will meet his children's needs. He'll do that. If you or I do not have something we want right now, it's simply because God knows you don't need it right now. Years ago, there was a missionary preparing to leave home. This was when missionaries traveled exclusively by ship to go to other continents. And he was going to a foreign field to which God had called him. And he, as he started to walk up that, that gangplank, whatever it's called, up the ship, a wealthy friend had come to see him. And he handed, he handed this missionary an envelope. And he, he said to the missionary, he said, uh, when you come to the place and you're on the field and you have a need, and you've exhausted everything else, and you have no other recourse, open that envelope and use it. Do what you need to do. That missionary went to the field for 20-something years, never came back to his homeland. But at the end of that 20-something years, he finally came home. He walked down the gangplank of of the ship, and he was coming to the dock. There was his wealthy friend standing there waiting to greet him. He'd sent him off to the mission field. Now he was welcoming him home. There's his wealthy friend uh, standing there to greet him. 
and he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a, an old 20-something-year-old envelope and he handed it back to his friend, unopened, and said, I appreciate this, but there was never a need that I had on the field that God didn't meet. That is a wonderful testimony. God will provide your needs. I'll, I'll say this again to you, church. None of us know how much time we have left on this planet. We don't. There was a song that was written 20-something years ago called In the Time That Remains. And it talked about what do I do? I gave that song to a friend of mine who was terminally ill with cancer. In the time that remains, not knowing what it is for you, would you like to make the best of the rest of your life? Jesus tells you how to do that. Seek first my kingdom. Not your retirement account. Not the size of your house. Not the size of your bank account. Not the biggest title that you can get in your office. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things, they'll be added unto you. You can make the best of the rest of your life, whatever it is. You know what? Here's, here's the truth. I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer today or anything, but here's the truth of it. I could have said this at the, at the end of 2022. When we come to the last Sunday of, of the year 2024, and we gather together like we're going to, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back, some of you are not going to be here. You're already going to have gone out into eternity. Now, nobody in this room today is planning on going out into eternity in 2024. You're not making that plan, but you're going. Jim Whip sat for oh, three years right in that chair that Rick Kent's sitting in back there. Brother Jim didn't know he was going to heaven this year. But thank God three and a half years ago, Jim Whip got saved. Amen. And when he, when he died, he, he went to heaven this year. Our sister Stacy's in heaven. When the year began, Stacy didn't know she was going to be in heaven. She is. We... Every one of us can name people in here who started 2023 intending to finish 2023 and didn't. And that's you or that's me in 2024. I'll ask you again, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I think you ought to have goals. I think you ought to have dreams. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. But above everything else, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the rest of this will be added unto you. If you live to be 110, God's going to take care of you. If you're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. You say, I might outlive my retirement. You won't outlive God's retirement plan for you. He will meet your need. He's bound to do that. It is impossible, twice in the scripture, it is impossible for God to, to lie and he repeatedly tells us he'll meet our needs if you'll just seek him first I want to I want to encourage you today first if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior he's the king he is the king of kings he's the one the scripture says it like this he's the one with whom you have to do 
Every person ever born or created is going to stand before Jesus Christ one day, either at the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian or the great white throne judgment as a non-Christian. Everybody here is condemned. There's no appeals court. They are condemned to destruction at the great white throne. Every person here at the great white throne, they're going to heaven. Or excuse me, at the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ, they're going, there's, there's going to be some people get great rewards there, but everybody there is going to heaven. Everybody at the great white throne is going to hell. He is the one, saved or not, he is the one with whom we have to do. He's the king. So know him today. And if you know him, seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness and the rest of your life, I promise, based on, not on my, not on my, my character or anything like that, I promise on the word of God, he will take care of you. He will take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. He absolutely will. He is a good God that way. I'd like you to stand, if you would, for just a moment with your heads bowed and give you an opportunity to respond to this message this morning. Number one, if you don't know Christ in this room or joining us online today, if you don't know Christ, come to him and be saved. You have to do that. He, he's the one with whom we have to do. He's the one before whom all of us are going to stand one day. Come to Jesus Christ today and be saved. Number two, if you are saved, you have, we're at the end of 2023 and the cusp of 2024. You have to examine your life and say, am I seeking first his kingdom in my life? Am I seeking his righteousness in my life? Is the righteousness of Christ on display in me? Not for my own glory, but for his glory. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this, this little brief verse that points us in the right direction for eternity. Seeking your kingdom, seeking your righteousness, and getting a promise from the, from the God who created all it is that you'll meet our needs if we do that. I pray for those that might be in this room today that do not know you as Savior. They, they don't know of a time when they ask you to forgive their sins and change them from the family of Adam to the family of God. They don't remember that time when they asked you to save them. Lord, I, I pray that they would be saved. I pray for those Christians today who are struggling with loving the world and trying to love Jesus at the same time. And you told us we weren't to love the world or the things in it that those things are not going to satisfy. Help us to love you supremely. Help us to enjoy the world. Lord, you said you gave us all things to enjoy. You've put us in this world. Promised abundant life. But may our, may our source of, of contentment and peace and deepest source of joy be our relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray for Christians that might be struggling today. Bless this time of invitation and use it for your glory alone. I pray in your name. Amen. Please hold your heads bowed for just a moment.